This is Saving Grace, Living in the Light of God's Love, a broadcast ministry of Grace Center for Spiritual Development and Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world, committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. And now, our program. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's program. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Christ told him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we understand the first commandment, but the second one can be a little bit more complicated. A social media post put it this way. When Jesus said, love your neighbor, he knew your neighbor would act, look, believe, and love differently than you. It's kind of the whole point. Well, it is the whole point. And we may have to get out of our comfort zone to obey Christ's command. Here to help us navigate the commands in Scripture to love one another is Grant Hawley. Grant is the executive director of the Free Grace Alliance and pastor of Bold Grace Fellowship in the Colony, Texas. Grant is the author of several books, including The Guts of Grace, Preparing Ordinary Saints for Extraordinary Ministry. Also, Let the Text Speak, an introduction to biblical hermeneutics and others. He's the editor of 21 Tough Questions About Grace and Free Grace Theology, Five Ways That It Magnifies the Gospel. Grant is a member of the Council on Dispensational Hermeneutics, and we're so pleased to have him join us on Saving Grace. Welcome, Grant. Hi, Carmen. Thanks for having me on. Oh, I'm so glad this topic is important to you, Grant. You know, it just seems like there's so much division in the world. And when you look at, well, where is this coming from? Well, it's a heart issue, Grant. And people's hearts just seem to be void of love, full of hatred, uh, just opposite of what Christ commands. Uh, I think it would be helpful for our audience to go back just to see the importance of love to our Lord, let's go back to the night before Christ was crucified and, and what he felt was most important, knowing what his what was about to take place, this important instructions for his disciples. Could you share some of that with us? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, the Upper Room Discourse in John, I think, is uh, probably the best place to go for something like this because it it really does have um, an extended sermon from Jesus. It's uh, maybe the longest sermon that we have of, of Jesus's um, alongside the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Jesus uh, starts with a demonstration. He starts by uh, washing the feet of his disciples, and he does this knowing that uh, Judas was about to betray him and that Peter was about to deny him three times. And uh, after he does this, he washes the feet of the disciples. Then he tells them uh, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. And he says, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He goes on then to talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, he goes on then to talk about the need for them to trust Christ for whatever they're going through and uh, really to depend on him and to obey him th through all that they're, they're going through. 
And it's interesting that after Peter says that um, he's going to stand up for him and I'm going to go, I'll die for you. I'll, I'll lay down my life for you. Right, right. Uh, Jesus says the very next thing he says to him is, uh, no, Peter, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And right, right after that, it's, there's an unfortunate chapter break, but right after that, he says to him, let not your heart be troubled. And so, um, it's interesting when we think about, um, loving one another, the way that Christ has loved us. Sometimes when somebody hurts us, we're not really quick to turn around and show grace to them and start to care about their hearts and, and the, the feelings that they might be going through. But that's just one demonstration that he gives us about how, uh, he's calling us to love one another. No doubt about it. And then also just the fact that he, uh, washed their feet, just such an act of love and servanthood. Uh, and, and it's, it's incredible when you consider he is God. Uh, but he was willing to do that because of his love for them. Beautiful. Well, you know, Christ's prayer to the Father, uh, in John 17, uh, makes it clear his, for his priorities, not only for disciples, but, but for all who would believe. But what do you glean from what I call this the Lord's Prayer myself uh, that emphasizes the importance of love and unity to the Father and Son in that prayer, Grant? Yeah, this is such a amazing moment in uh, Jesus's life. It's you know right before he goes to um, to be betrayed to go to the cross, and then we have this prayer that is the whole chapter of, of uh, John chapter 17, basically. And it's the longest prayer that we have recorded from Jesus. And in it, he is so concerned with uh, the state of his disciples and uh, how they're going to do without him. And he has one practical concern that he lifts above all of it. And um, it's in this part at the end of John chapter 17, it's verses 20 down through 26, where he actually prays for, for all believers. And that's us. This is the only time that we have recorded in scripture that Jesus prays for us. And, and then as he's praying for us, and this is, again, this, this um, just fateful night. Um, knowing that this is this is the last time he has with his disciples before he he goes to the cross, he says, "I do not pray for these alone, uh, these disciples alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I and them, and you and me." that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me uh, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous father, the world has not known you, but I've known you and these have known you that you've sent me. And I have declared to them your name and will declare that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And so at this fateful moment, the one time that we have that's a recorded prayer of Jesus about us, he's praying that we would love one another and that we would be one in him. And that as a result, people would look at us and see that Jesus Christ really is sent from God. Yes, yes, that that would be the evidence that the world would see, correct? Amen. Uh, 
you know, that they would see love in us. And, and it makes me sad because Grant, I know that's not always what the world sees in us. So it's certainly something that we need to reconsider in our own hearts and lives and how we can demonstrate that love as, as Christ did, because it seems as believers, I mean, we all want to bring honor and glory to the Lord. And he makes it very clear in that prayer what his heart's desire is. So if we truly love him, it makes sense that we would would really strive to to reflect that love uh, as he did. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, you know, we know our, our flesh is, is still at work <laughs> uh, all the time in the hearts of believers. And, and it's always battling the spirit who is transforming us to be more like Christ. So we know that hatred and division can still arise in our hearts, even as believers, uh, if we don't allow the spirit to guide us. You've pointed out in some of your writing that legalism is the instigator of building a wall of division rather than unity and love. Could you explain what you mean? Sure. Um, you know, I think legalism a lot of times is culturally based. And so sometimes we are more comfortable with people who are like us. And so we set up legalistic rules, which aren't necessarily biblical. And what that what those rules sometimes do is exclude people who are different from us culturally. And it, there's an interesting uh, dynamic that's going on throughout scripture where you have uh, Paul, who is, he, he was a Pharisee, right? And so he was, you know, the, of the strictest, strictest sect of legalists. And uh, so Paul uh, became a persecutor of the church and then called from this uh, legalistic persecuting of persecuting of the church person uh, he was called to become the apostle to the gentiles and so he had to let go of all of his um cultural taboos and uh, you know hang-ups that he had based on his whole life and his whole identity was based on this mosaic law that told him you know you can't go and hang out with gentiles you just can't do it because if you do that you're going to be unclean right. and so uh so he was called uh to go to the gentiles and he spent his whole life uh, from then on, doing everything he could to uh, help these Gentiles to understand that they are included in Christ and that if they just believe in him, they're no different than anyone else in the body of Christ. And all those distinctions are done away. And you saw Peter actually um, had a similar experience um, in in Acts. There was a there was a time where he was he was really he became really hungry and he had this trance that came over him and the Lord brought down this sheet full of all these foods that were unclean under the Mosaic law and said, uh, uh, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter told Jesus, no, I'm not going to do that because I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And uh, Jesus says to him, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. And so this has happened. This happened three times. And then uh, immediately after this, Peter receives the word that he's called to go and preach to uh, Cornelius, who was a Gentile at Cornelius's household. And uh, when Peter went there, he tells Cornelius, um, look, you know, um, it's unlawful for me to come into the house of a Gentile. But the Lord has shown me that I shouldn't call anything that he's cleansed common or unclean. And that that includes you. And so he goes on to share the gospel and um, Cornelius comes to faith in Christ and 
everything is great. Um, in, in Acts 15, he, he really understood what God was doing there and uniting the Jews and Gentiles together apart from the law. And then um, we have this story that's told in, in Galatians chapter 2, where um, Peter had been having fellowship with the Gentiles in Antioch. And Antioch is a Gentile city. Mm-hmm. And so they were they were enjoying fellowship together, enjoying these meals together, and and just how encouraging might that be if you are um, a Gentile and you've always been excluded from the people yeah. of God, and now all of a sudden you You're have invited to the banquet. <laughs> yeah, invited to the banquet, and you have this uh, relationship with uh, the leader from among the apostles mm-hmm. in in Peter. And he's eating with you, and you're you're enjoying this fellowship, and there's no distinction between between you two. You under, you're, you're both in this understanding. Oh, we're justified by grace through faith, and God has made us one in Christ. And then uh, these people came from James, and we understand um, after reading Acts chapter 15 that James didn't send them with this message, but they were they uh, spoke this message on their own. That. Um, that basically was saying, look, you can't, you can't have fellowship with them because they don't keep the law. And so Peter got scared. Um, he withdrew from eating from the, with the Gentiles. And there was just this huge wall that was immediately built up between them. And he says that the, um, Paul says the rest of the Gentiles played the hypocrite with them. And even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And, he was, he was, yeah. Yeah. And, Bar- you know, Barnabas is, he's known as, you know, Barnabas means son of encouragement. Uh-huh. And so this, this is a guy whose whole um, reputation was as an encourager. And now all of a sudden he's put up this wall of division as well. And, and so, we do that here. And we, and we do that in our life today, Grant. Oh, we you do know? it all the time. Uh, you know, back then there were Gentiles and there were Jews. Uh, that was the the division that 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 it was appeared back then. But today, uh, because of our wicked hearts, truly, we have made so many other walls of separation, whether it be race or gender or uh, even even our political beliefs or our occupations. We build wall after wall after wall, don't we? Yep, generations, subcultures, uh, oh, racial division, that. gender, class. There's so many things that we just, you know, we we all of these different groups. We have some cultural norms that are are sort of part of our group, and so you know what we do is because we have we are a little uncomfortable with people who are very different from us. Mm-hmm. Is you know we make these legalistic rules that say basically you know i'm i'm good and you're not good <laughs> and uh, and it just ends up being a way that we build these walls that separate us and and uh, you know it's it's really the the liberty that we have in christ allows us to go and have a real genuine fellowship with those people that are very different from us oh i agree absolutely you know we can praise god for for breaking down that wall of separation in Jesus, but we still have to be intentional about building bridges and not walls. And one way to do that is to recognize our differences as needed. Uh, let's talk about those differences as outlined in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, because it truly does apply to us today. Uh, and to, you know, I think people read that and they go, you know, we're talking about hand and feet and all these things. No, we're talking about the body of Christ. Uh, help us to, to grasp the differences that it talks about and how God intended us 
to operate as one body. Yeah. So, you know, the the discussion that's going on there in First Corinthians 12 is is about spiritual gifts yeah. and how how God has has gifted us differently with the intention that uh, we all have certain things that we are able to do well in the spirit. And then we also very intentionally lack certain abilities. And the reason for that is so that um, one person can't say to another person, I don't need you because I, I can do it all. <laughs> and so, so God has, has put us all in the body with, with um, each, each of us having these unique gifts and in having these unique gifts that are that are ours and and also that very intentional lack of the other gifts it makes us have to depend on one another okay. and if if you live in a community where you all really do realize how much you have to depend on one another and that you know I can't do this whole Christian life. I can't do all this ministry without you. Um, it, it really does change the way that we look at one another and the way we treat one another. And I think it's important to understand that, that while this discussion is about spiritual gifts here in first uh, Corinthians 12, there's all kinds of other things that are similar that, that do have an effect in the body of Christ. The, the culture that I have is different from another person's uh, maybe subculture or, or um, you know, maybe somebody who's uh, from, you know, a different country speaks a different language and has just very vastly different culture from me. Yeah. That, that person can reach people that I can't reach. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we need each other. We all have to depend on each other because of the differences. And yeah. those differences are, are both, um, you know, we, we struggle with just saying these differences are acceptable. But God says not only are these differences acceptable, they're actually intentional and they're a blessing. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I'm a facilitator with ministry insights leading from your strengths. And we actually use First Corinthians 12 as our foundational passage. And, and, and we often talk about the fact that what we, we might see a difference as a weakness, but God intends it to be a strength in our lives. So the areas of your life, uh, where, where you are different, uh, I'm going, like you were saying earlier, I'm going to need that someday, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to need my strengths. And each of us, if we look at one another's differences in that regard, uh, we we are more likely to reach out and communicate and get to know them because you want to find out what their strengths are. Let them tell you. Let them show you. Uh, so definitely there's some work that we can do uh, uh, and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us to, to break down those walls, I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amen. But uh, it, it's so important you know we we when we judge rather than embrace our differences we know that division is going to be inevitable when you when you are judgmental and it's so true as we interact with the world as well it's one thing to interact with christians and have that division but we interact with the world uh and certainly that division is more intense so how do you see the commandment to love one another play out in influencing the world that doesn't share our values? How do we balance that out? Yeah, I think really the first thing that we need to understand is that um, a lot of the things that that become uh, hindrances 
between us and reaching the world aren't really things that deal with Christ. I know that uh, the world is going to hate us because of Christ. Uh, Jesus says that that would happen. Um, but I think more often than not, um, the animosity that we have between us and the world have to do with with cultural differences and not really dealing with Christ. And uh, so I think sometimes what we do is we end up putting walls between us that are unnecessary. And of course, there are some, some, um, some walls between the believer and the unbeliever that, that are, um, that are real obstacles. You know, some things can be actually uh, really difficult, um, especially, you know, when, when, people hate our savior. Right. Um, but if we, if we, um, we realize that God loves them enough to send his son for them. And we realize that, uh, Christ loved them enough to die for them. Yes. Yeah. Then, then we can love them enough to be a little uncomfortable. And if we can do that and we can um, be, be okay with being a little uncomfortable with, um, you know, a believer living like an, unbe- or excuse me, an unbeliever living like an unbeliever, um, a sinner living like a sinner, we can, we can um, have more of a posture of, of, um, of love and welcoming, which I think can help people to go and believe the gospel. I think a lot of the times um, folks, um, are resistant to the gospel partially because, um, the way that they've been pushed away. And I think if we, if we, uh, if we take more of a come, come welcome, um, attitude like, uh, revelation 22, you know, let, um, anybody who, uh, desires, let him take the water of life freely. We need to have that kind of attitude and understand that, you know, our job first with the unbeliever is to help them understand the gospel and encourage them to believe the gospel, not to get them to clean up their lives. That's, that's something we do with believers. Yes. Yes, exactly. Very, very, very good. You know, I think it's so important to remind believers that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day to determine our rewards and our assignment in, in the kingdom. Uh, our, our eternity is secure because of our faith alone in the gospel, but we will be judged for our works. And Christ has told us it is a commandment to love one another. So speak to that reality uh, in light of our discussion today. We're not just, it's not just a suggestion that people need to love one another, is it? No. Um, you know, it, it's the whole, it's the whole deal. Um, John or first John three twenty three is, says that this is his commandment that we would believe in him and love one another. And that's it. That's the whole thing summed up. And every, every other aspect of the commandments we have are, are different, um, guidance on how to live that out. And, uh, when you talk about the judgment seat of Christ, there's there's one passage that I think is um, really wonderful for helping people understand that, and it's First uh, Corinthians chapter three. And the reason why it's so great is it talks about how you know we are we're only talking about people who are built building on the foundation of Christ. Um, so you know that's the only foundation can anyone lay. Um, is this foundation of Christ. So we're talking about um, a judgment that is for believers. And it's a judgment of how we build on this 
um, on this foundation. And so it's, it's, I think, um, an illustration of the temple, which, um, is also an illustration of the body of Christ. Okay. And so we're talking about how do we build the body of Christ? And then that work is going to be judged. And then it says very clearly that if anyone, if anyone's work, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so as through fire. And so the idea is that we we can understand from this passage that salvation is not in question for uh, believers who stand before this judgment. It's a judgment of rewards. But what I think a lot of people miss is the context of this passage. Um, This is a passage that Paul is dealing with divisions in this body of Christ, you got people saying, I'm of Paul, and another guy says, I'm of Apollos, and another guy says, I'm of Christ. And Paul says, because of that, you're carnal. You're not understanding the spiritual things. Mm-hmm. And so um, he then goes on to talk about, look, who is Paul and who is Apollos, right? We're just ministers of Christ through whom you believe. Yeah. That's it. Exactly. And, um, you know, he, he's just saying, you know, we are all working together, and it's one God who gives the increase. It's not it's not anything that's, um, that's, uh, you know, something that, you know, we're not in here competing, you know, what, what can I do and and how can I step on you and make my, my own name great. And so it's, it's really, um, the context of this is, is that we should understand that, that our working in unity in the body of Christ is directly related to how we're going to fare at the judgment seat of Christ. And we see the same thing in Romans chapter chapter 14, that uh, we need to respect the liberty of others and live in love towards them because we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that helps us in two ways. One is it helps us to keep our eyes on our own paper, but it also helps us to realize that if, if someone else if someone else is not living how we think they should live, they're going to have their own judgment. And it's not my job to control them. Exactly. We focus on our own, the speck in our eye, right? Yeah. For sure. sure. Wow. Wow. Well, I, you know, we only have a minute, but I, could you just share with those who are listening today, maybe they've been hurt by someone who should have loved them. And we've all been there somewhere in our lives. They, ha- they find it hard to forgive and to learn, learn, love that person in return. What would you say to those wounded hearts out there in our closing moment? Yeah, it's so hard because, um, you know, it, it's difficult. It's difficult to live in the body of Christ. It's difficult to live with other, you know, broken human beings. And, um, you know, I've been hurt. I've been hurt so many times. It's... Um, you know, if I, if I dwell on that, it can be, it can be difficult to press on. But if I realize that, um, that Christ has forgiven me, he's forgiven me of everything that I've ever done. And he does, he knows all of it. So it's like, you know, he hasn't, um, he hasn't held it against me. And so he's freed me up in that way to, to love others in the same way. And I think that's healing. Um, you know, sometimes we can look at that like it's an obligation, but I think it's also healing. If we can just let the the love of Christ kind of overflow us and, yeah. and flow out from us to others. And remember what we've been forgiven for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Grant Hawley, for your excellent insight of the scriptures today and the reminder to love one another. We just thank you, our listeners, for joining us. We've put information about Grant, his books, 
about Free Grace Alliance, all on our Saving Grace program page at gsot.edu. That's gsot.edu. Or you can download our Grace app. While there, please check out the opportunities offered here at Grace School of Theology for seminary degrees or our Grace Center for Spiritual Development for Bible studies uh, and other resources to deepen your faith and your knowledge of the love of the Lord. Please tell others about saving grace. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You've been listening to Saving Grace. For more information about Grace Center for Spiritual Development or this program, visit our website at gsot.edu slash center or download the Grace app through your smartphone. Views expressed on this program may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.